Okay. Good morning again. Uh, this morning we're going to be in Luke 24. I just want to read a verse to you that I read uh, this morning, and I wanted to share it with you. It's Hebrews 3.1. It says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. I like that he says, holy brethren, you guys are the holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Because of that, we need to consider, to think about the apostle and high priest of our faith, Christ Jesus. But today, this morning, I hope on Easter Sunday, of all Sundays, Christmas is one thing when you think about Jesus, but we tend to think of him as a baby in a manger and all the little stories from there that are good and they're essential. But I think today we really need to consider that God is our high priest. He's the apostle. He's the one who is sent forth from God to bring us salvation, to bring us home, to make us one with him. And I hope that because we're the holy brethren, if any brethren, I want to be a holy brethren. I don't know what other kind of brethren there are, but I'm sure the other brethren aren't considering him. So us as holy brethren, let's consider him this morning. Amen. Um, but obviously it's Easter Whereas the more Christian you are, you might say Resurrection Sunday. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but sincerely, you know, we know what Easter is. We know that it's the day that Jesus uh, rose from the dead. It coincides with spring. We had a little bit of taste of spring this week, and yet somehow it's going to snow tomorrow. I don't know what's going on, but what was it? Isn't it like March comes in like a lion, out like a lamb? Yes. I don't know what April, April showers bring my flowers. I don't know what April snow brings, but... We had Easter bunnies. Me and Mom Pop-Pop came over yesterday and brought the hollow chocolate bunnies for the kids, but not for me. So I was a little disappointed, but I had to taste test Alicia's to make sure that it was safe for her to eat. Uh, you know, some people, some people decorate eggs. Some countries they actually scratch eggs. Uh, but really, it's this whole idea of fertility, this idea of new life in the spring. You know, obviously bunnies, bunnies have lots of bunnies, eggs. It's new life. Um, you know, we won't get into it, but if we look into it a little bit, we see there's this Babylonian false resurrection story. We celebrated with Ishtar, and this mom and this hunter son, and he goes out and he dies, and apparently he comes back, and somehow it made its way into culture and in society, and the Catholic Church took over Roman culture, and somehow today we have Easter, where we have little bunnies jumping around and things, and, and I'm not necessarily opposed to the Easter bunny. Um, you know, I'm not going to go sit on his lap and take a picture of them all, but... <laughs> I'm not opposed to the chocolate. You know, I hope my mom gave me some chocolate today. We'll see. I don't need it. I mean, I have very little teeth, probably, from all the chocolate I had as a kid. Um, but these things are not the truth. These things are not the new life that we celebrate today. They are, in some way, they're fleshly, man-centered, they're earth-focused. But we have the true story. We have uh, real new life, you know, how long do eggs last? How long do bunnies last? You know, all sorts of things can happen. You know, it's very earth-centered. We have eternal life, right, Alicia? Is that good? Eternal life through Jesus. You know, I think that the enemy will do, I know that the enemy will do anything to distract us from that. You know, Christmas has become anything but about Jesus. Easter has become anything but the resurrection. You say Resurrection Sunday to someone, they go, What? I just say Easter. You know, they know what it is. They, they know that it's about Jesus, whether they celebrate a bunny or not. But again, I don't mind these things. And are they fun? But are they necessary? Are they necessary? 
I think so much in life is fine, it's just not necessary. And maybe I'm selfish. In fact, I know I'm selfish, definitely to some degree. But I want the best. I want the best in life. You know, I've had what the world offers. I've had that hollow bunny. I've even had the solid bunny that we were talking about yesterday. I even used that in my testimony to compare the way I was feeling before I came to know the Lord and what my life was like. But I've had also what God gives. And he's shown me that what God gives is better than what the world gives. Yeah, the bunny's great, but I don't really care at the end of the day if I don't get a bunny. Yeah, it'd be fun, but, you know, I don't need a bunny. I'm the last guy on earth who needs to eat a solid chocolate bunny. I need to go out and run like a rabbit. I don't need to eat a chocolate rabbit. <laughs> but Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I don't want to be distracted when he comes back. I want to be ready for when he returns. As we'll see, the disciples were a bit perplexed today. I don't want to be perplexed when Jesus comes back. Hey, what's happening? What's going on? Wait a minute, why isn't my life ready? I want to be ready. And I believe that the focus of our Easter, of our Resurrection Day, you know, I love still how Mia last week called Palm Sunday uh, Hosanna Day. You know, why we look at the palm branches, let's look at the king. I mean, I get it, but I thought it was cute and I like it. I want to look at today as Resurrection Day because it's always about Jesus. There's no bunnies in heaven. <laughs> there's horses apparently, but animals go back to the earth, right? Maybe there's new, I don't know. But I haven't seen any in scripture. But Jesus is in heaven. And let's look at uh, Luke 24 together. It says, uh, Now on the very first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they had found the stone rolling away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how uh, he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned to the tomb and told these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying, to the, lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. It's interesting that on the, the day that all of Scripture has been really pointing to, the Messiah coming and dying and rising again, we find the disciples not really believing, not even remembering. Um, and I think that's interesting to see. Uh, you know, we'd expect that this was, if this was a made-up story, that they'd all be, like, waiting for him to show up. They'd have a party, you know, welcome back, Jesus. You know, they'd have all the fish and everything prepared, but uh, we don't see that. We don't see that. We see the meat, though, on the first day of the week and on Sunday. Uh, well, actually, that this happened on the first day of the week on Sunday. You know, this is one reason why we had church on Sunday. Uh, you can make an argument for Saturday, but really the New Testament talks about every day. The week is our Sabbath. But sincerely, I believe, God bless you, we meet on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection. Because the resurrection is where we find our true rest. You know, Pastor Vinny was sharing Thursday night about finding our rest in Hebrews. That God is our rest. That uh, having faith in him, that he is the rest for Israel. 
you know, that they had the Sabbath day set aside to remember, to rest in what God has done. And this is it. This is the final work of God, salvation. And we can rest in that. And you know, the world doesn't have any rest. The world is, is running around looking for life and not finding it and not getting that rest. Yet we have a place where we can sit down and we can truly rest. But it says that they were greatly perplexed. I think a lot of us, you know, myself included, sincerely, were greatly perplexed before I came to the Lord. I didn't know the right thing to do. I didn't know the way to go. I was trying to find the truth um, uh, before I came to know Jesus. Uh, but I, I seem to find that sometimes in the church as well, that the church tends to be a little perplexed. These guys knew who Jesus was. They spent at least three years with him, if not more. And they were perplexed. They had no idea what was going on. He died. What's happening? Where did he go? I thought he was going to... What? They had the scriptures. They went to synagogue, I'm sure, as a kid or a temple. Jesus even said to them, they were reminded a little bit later, but they had forgotten it. They've forgotten. And I think sometimes, even, so, even when we know the scriptures, even when we've been around it, we can be perplexed when we encounter the evidence of a risen life. When we see God do a work and we don't understand it, or we see God moving someone or changing someone's life and we don't get it, we go, why don't they hang out with me anymore? Why aren't they doing this anymore? You know, especially those of our friends who didn't know the Lord when we came to the Lord and wouldn't come with us. They looked on it. That's perplexed. But I think sometimes in the church, too, we wonder, why is this happening? Why is this happening in my life? God, why have you allowed this in my life, even personally? But what are the two angels, the two men, as Luke says, but they're angels? What do they say to them? They say, why are you seeking, or why do you seek the living among the dead? You know, you've come here to this grave. You know, this was the goth movement, the hot topic kids would all go to the graves in high school and want to hang out there, and they had no idea what they were doing, but it was some, for some reason it was just cool to wear black and go to the graves. I don't know. But that's what these guys are saying here. Why are you seeking life in the middle of a graveyard? Why are you trying to find God, the one who's alive, the ever-living God, among those who are dead? I think that's what, what happens. I don't know if that's because they're perplexed, or if it's really causing them to be perplexed. Maybe it's a little bit of the chicken and the egg or the rabbit and the egg where, man, when we're perplexed, we begin to look in the wrong places to try and find life. When we begin to look in the wrong places to try and find life, it just leaves us with more confusion. I mean, we don't even have to talk about the things that go on in the world today. We see that the world is confused. The world has no idea what's going on. And then more confusing things happen because they keep turning to the wrong things and they go, why is more bad stuff happening? Well, maybe you're looking in the wrong place for the answers. But I love how the angels remind them of Jesus' words. The angels don't have any new revelation for them. The angels, just as ministers of God, just remind them what Jesus had said. And he says to them, he said at one point, he said, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. So they knew he was going to die. They knew he was going to be turned over to the wicked. But I guess they forgot that he would rise again. That he would rise again and tear down this temple in three days and will rebuild it. But I wonder, how often do we forget the words of Jesus when we're perplexed? If we're perplexed about something today, if we're wondering why something is happening or why it's going on, have we just forgotten what the Lord has said? Have we forgotten what the Bible has said? And I wonder if maybe we wouldn't be as perplexed, or at least as worried as why we're perplexed. Maybe there would still be questions and lingering things that go on, but maybe we wouldn't be so worried in it 
if we just stop to remember what God has said. You know, especially John 14, 26, it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. You know, just like the angels reminded them when they looked in the tomb, the Holy Spirit will remind you and I from time to time of what the Scripture says. When we're wondering, when we're doubting, you know, there's times God will just bring it to remembrance. And it says that they remember it. I think it's interesting that they were reminded, and then also it says they remember it. Like, almost like they had, you know, not taking credit for it, but that they had some active duty, because the angels reminded them. But how often does someone tell you something, and you go, oh, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember, remember the time we did this? And you're like, yeah. And you don't really remember. You're trying to figure out, you know, it seems vaguely familiar, but you're not quite sure. And then, oh, I remember, that's right. There's some, you know, they mentioned something else, and it just triggers that memory. That's sort of what happened here. They finally remembered. They're, oh, yeah, I remember that time. I remember when God said that to us. I think it's important that we must remember, but also believe when we're reminded. When God begins to remind you of a scripture, I go before you, I go behind you, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. I've loved you with an everlasting love. That when God begins to remind us of those things, whether it's in the word, whether it's in prayer, whether it's a friend or through a teaching, or just God pops it in your mind when you're just going about your day, do we just brush that off? You say, oh no, yeah, I know the Bible says that, but I don't really believe it for myself. It's for you. You know, you could in a strange way say that every word of this Bible is for you and try and apply it to your life because it is for you. It is for you. You know, you don't really want to live it out in a strange way, but this entire Bible is for you and for me. And I think sometimes we go through it and we go, oh, that's nice. You know, that's for disciples. That was for John. That was for David. That was for Jeremiah. But it's for us too. For us, too. I think sometimes it's hard to believe the good news because we don't get good news a lot. A lot of times it's we get that phone call, we get that text. Oh, man, so-and-so's died, or I'm sick, or I'm sorry, I called you into your office today. You shut the door behind you. We've got to let you go. We get bad news. We're often the good news. And there's good news out there. I think, you know, obviously the world news thrives off of that sort of bad news, getting headlines, but... There's good news. A lot of times we just, we just don't, we can't believe it's for us. I think that that's part of what's going on today is they couldn't believe. It was too good to believe. But it's the sure words of Jesus that will give us confidence. They were perplexed. They were wondering what was going on. But they walked in there and they walked away totally different. They ran away and they began to tell the disciples, he's alive. They, were, they believed it. They understood it. They remembered it. The angels, they saw it. They didn't quite know what was going on. The angels told them, still weren't sure, and then they remembered. And when they remembered and it became real to them, that's when they went out and that's when they told the apostles. So what did the apostles do? The apostles said, oh yeah, you're right. We knew that. We've been sitting around here reading the Bible. No, they said, this is crazy. This is utter nonsense. What, do you, what time did you get up? Did you not sleep last night? Let me, did you have your coffee yet? You're, you're talking nonsense. This is, this is nuts. Disciples, when encountered with the truth of Jesus, and being reminded of his words by their close compatriots, this is crazy. And often it is when God begins to speak a word in us and show us new life and give us new life, and we want to share that new life that we have, even with other believers, they go, it's crazy. Football's on. Uh, it's nuts, you know. No, I'm not going to church on a Wednesday. You know what? No, it's enough. But you can't stop telling them. 
you can't stop living it because you've seen it. You've been reminded and you know it's true. A lot of times we think the disciples were perfect, but they weren't, especially before Pentecost. I, you know, it's like, if this was after Pentecost, I might have a little grievance with them, but it was before. You know, they, all they have is their own faculty here to believe. You know, the angels had to remind the ladies here, and these guys need some poking and prodding as well. You know, they, they themselves didn't remember the words of the Lord, and I wonder, you know, if we're not in the Word, will we remember the Word? The Holy Spirit will remind us of the word, but I think that word remind means we have to have heard it at least once to be reminded of it. You know, later on, the apostles would definitely go on to spread the word. Romans 10 says that those who haven't heard will hear the word, and how can they believe if they haven't heard? But I love that it was Peter who is the one that arose out of this group of guys. Peter, the one who had just finished denying Jesus a couple days earlier, was so grieved and was still like so tender to the whole situation. He had to go see for himself. He couldn't just sit around. Even though he was broken, even though he had did something tragic, he couldn't sit around. You know, he remembered the words of the Lord, right? When the rooster crowed, he went up and he was reminded of what God had told him just a few hours earlier and he broke and he weeped and he ran away. But he couldn't sit around. When he went and he saw, he marveled. And admiration. He went, this is amazing. You know, I don't know what level of his belief was at that point, but he was amazed, at least from this area of scripture. He was amazed. He said, wow, he's not here. He did say that. He did say that. He's here. I think maybe his grief was, was with him as well, but he was amazed. Like, look at, look at how wonderful this is and how amazing this is. I think sometimes we look in the tomb and we just see it empty. You know, we don't see the amazing thing that God has done. You know, we see a void in our life an emptiness in our life, a relationship that may have gone away, and we just look in and say, well, it's empty. You know, the, they left the bed neatly folded before they left. But we don't see the amazement there. We're not, wow, it's empty. There should be a body here, but there's not a body here. There should be something dead here, but there's nothing dead here anymore. God has done something here. And I think we need to look into the tomb today and be amazed that it is empty, that it's not an empty faith we have. A lot of people look on and say, oh, your faith is empty. Because we don't have a figurehead. We don't have a shrine to go to. We don't have uh, a mausoleum with Jesus' bones in them. It's an empty faith. It's not. It's the real faith. It's the faith of life. Because life cannot be contained. You know, Jurassic Park, life finds a way, right? You know, Jesus wouldn't find a way out. If the stone wasn't rolled away, I'm sure Jesus would have, you know, used his laser vision and burned a hole. I don't know what he would have done. But he would have found a way out. Because he, he can't be contained. Help can contain him and death can contain him, and let alone um, a little stone could not hold him back. Let's go on. Uh, verse 13 says, Now behold, two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, or if you're German, a mouse, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. I thought that was funny. But, and then they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed in reason that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping 
that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and a certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, and all the prophets and all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It says that two of them, you know, these were not uh, really the twelve or the eleven remaining. These were t- uh, some of the other people who would show up and believe in him, but they weren't full-time disciples. Simon and Cleopas, you know, these were regular guys. These guys, uh, in my notes, is part-time disciples. These guys weren't the full-time apostles. They didn't necessarily quit their jobs. You know, they still went out to work, and then they followed Jesus at night. You know, they believed in Jesus. They were with the other disciples, but they weren't part of that inner group. And it says that they were headed to this town called Emmaus, uh, which actually means warm baths. You know, maybe they were going for a spa treatment on Sunday. I don't know what they were doing. I, I don't know why they were headed there. You know, that, maybe that was where they lived, and they were just headed back home. You know, it makes sense that that's where they lived, and that's where their livelihood, and they were there for the Passover, and they're headed home. Um, uh, they, were, they began to talk. You know, that they were talking and reasoning on their journey. And they were having a really good and thoughtful, logical, you know, getting to the, the bottom of this conversation. You know, uh, have you ever gone on a long road trip or uh, been on a journey and just gotten into a conversation? You know, these guys, Mario and another friend, helped me move back from Maryland uh, like a year and a half ago. <laughs> I haven't asked you to help me move anywhere else. <laughs> Be thankful for that. But to do, we had time in the truck. We had time going over the mountains of Pennsylvania to talk about things, to fellowship about things, to talk about nonsense, to talk about sense, to talk about everything in between. And it was a good time. And uh, a lot of times our, our conversations are short. They're, you know, Sometimes when you've got a family gathering, it gets to that point where all the small talk has been eaten up, and okay, well, it's time to go now. <laughs> no one wants to have that deeper conversation. So we, and I don't know that it's conscious. Maybe it's just a subconscious thing. Um, but that happens. But here they were having a good conversation. It reminds me of some of the conversations we'd have to have after a youth group years ago or uh, on youth trips or lock-ins where, you know, some of these teenage boys would just want to talk and uh, be philosophical and get into it. Like, oh, I can do this. This is what I used to, this was, you know, what I used to do. Um, and it wasn't always like a fruitful conversation. It could be philosophical about anything. But that's what they were doing here. They were, tr- they were having this conversation in. Jesus was our hope. You know, he was just crucified, and they, I thought he was going to take over. You know, a week ago, we were praising him to come into the city. We thought he was going to be king. You know, they're trying to rationalize, well, how is it going to happen now? Was he really the scripture? What, you know, really trying to get to the bottom of it. It wasn't just a surface conversation. I believe it was this deeper, more, you know, you got all day to walk. You got seven and a half miles to walk. That's going to take a little time um, to get there. But it says, while they were doing this, that Jesus himself drew near. You know, we've been reading in Genesis where Abraham and then uh, and, and Sarah, and God shows up to them. He shows up on the way to Sodom with the two angels, and uh, he begins to talk with them and converse with them. Um, and I just love that Jesus wants to hang out with them. Um, you know, I'm reminded of a verse that's really about discipline, but I think we can stretch it here, as most people do. Matthew 18, 20 says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. That Jesus, you know, we don't need a friend over for Jesus to show up and hang out with us. You know, we don't need to go somewhere special for God to show up. We just spend time with him. We can go and pray, whether we're on the highway or whether we're in our bedroom, and spend time with him. But I think 
In fact, it's, it's clear in Scripture that when we begin to hang out and really fellowship like the Bible talks, really get into a good conversation about Jesus, you know, uh, sometimes you brought up questions or things or we talk back and forth about the Bible or you listen to pastor's perspective or we begin to say, oh, this has been on my heart lately or this is what God's been showing me in the Scriptures. I believe God shows up in those times. We begin to answer. answers stuff for us and for each other. And God loves to, you know. It's kind of like you hear someone talking about you. And you go, oh, hey, what's going on? You know, if they get real quiet, you got to kind of worry about it. <laughs> you know, maybe that's why part of why Jesus didn't reveal himself to them. He wanted to hear what they were really thinking. I encourage you, let God know what you're really thinking. You know, sometimes we're perplexed because we haven't quite told God all that we're thinking about, all that we're worried about. You know, I was worried about something yesterday. Outside doing something, I just took a break and just began to tell God about it. Just in, you know, 30 seconds a minute. And things began to clear up and get a little better. You know, God's not going to stay away from a conversation. We don't have to, we don't have to beat ourselves up or, you know, what is it, uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. They cut themselves all day and they had this crazy service to try and get their God to show up. Elijah goes, well, maybe he's in the bathroom. You know, why is he showing? And then all he says is, God, show up and show them near God. And fire comes from heaven. You know, if we want to spend time with God, he's not going to turn us away. If we really want to seek him, even if we don't yet know him yet, and tell the kingdom know him, right? Even if we don't know him yet, and want him to be there, he'll be there. And that's what they did. They wanted him to be there. They wanted Jesus to be there. But it says that their eyes were restrained. Their eyes were restrained. They didn't. Jesus was there, you know. They weren't Mr. Magoo walking around and not being able to see, but they didn't know that this was him. You know, I don't know if he was, you know, apparently he looked a little bit different after the resurrection. They didn't recognize that it was him. They didn't recognize his voice. But with that, I believe that Jesus didn't want to appear, that, appear to them with just their earthly eyes. He didn't want to just show up and go, hey, it's Jesus. Uh, new shoes? You know, they wanted to really see him for who he was. You know, I tell, I tell the kids, sort of, it's sort of a family parable of earthly eyes and heavenly eyes. My mom would tell me when I was a kid about how my, right now my earthly eyes are very open and my heavenly eyes are, are just a little bit open. But then when I get to heaven, my heavenly eyes will be open big and I'll be able to see the angels in heaven. That sort of thing here. Their earthly eyes were, earthly eyes were wide open, but their heavenly eyes, they couldn't see. They were restrained. They couldn't see that this man in front of them was Jesus. It's interesting that the one definition of the word is one of the last definitions of this word restrained is of death and continuing to hold on to it. Sort of like this, you're stuck in this deathly situation. You've lost your loved one and you just can't let go of that situation. You can't let go of it. I wonder how often do we miss Jesus even when he's right in front of us because we're still looking at death. Because we haven't yet looked to the life in this situation. We believe only what we currently know or what we currently can handle, whether mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And we're not looking for the real possibility of life in a situation that seems empty, a situation that should be full of death. We miss the situation of life. You know, it's sad. We, um, over the summer, um, I didn't know them, but uh, through some company I follow on social media, there was a story of this little boy who was out horse riding with his grandpa and I guess his uncle and he got thrown off the horse. I guess he was around 12 years old. Seven. Seven. Oh, is that? Oh, he looked older. He's a young boy, but he got thrown off his horse and they had to airlift him to the hospital and he ended up dying a little while later. But they had him on life support. There was they had prayer for him. They had a 
fundraising for him. But in this, his, his family are believers. And they went to this church, and all they could do was just share about Jesus in this time. As they're grieving, and he's hooked up to the tubes, and they're obviously sad and broken. They're, you know, like, they should be. as their son. But just his sisters would share about him and share about the Lord. And just in this time when all you would think about would just be death and grieving, which there was. They kept pointing to life. They kept finding life. They kept talking about, even just earlier, he was talking about how he couldn't wait to go to heaven and, and all these things, and yet, you know, he's in heaven. They're grieving. It's a hard situation, but he's in heaven. When we think about that, you know, when we lose a relative who is a believer, it, it's got to be hard. I mean, how can it not be hard? We love them, they're our family. But when they're in heaven, there's joy there. It's not, there's no emptiness there. You know, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we all know that verse, but sometimes we're looking for the substance before we have the faith. We're looking for Jesus sitting in the tomb, having his cup of Sunday morning coffee, to believe in him. But we need to see that the evidence, the substance, is that he's not in the tomb. Is that the situation isn't what we expected. Is that even in the midst of a, a dark and trying time, that there is light if we just look for it. You know, these guys were sad. Jesus had died. You know, they say to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Where have you been? <laughs> Three years. You haven't read the paper? You haven't been around town? It was Passover. Would you miss out on all this? This was like, this is it. Everyone was here for this. And isn't that great that the Lord dies on a time when people were coming and pilgriming to uh, celebrate? You know, he's not going to keep it hidden. But they were basically flabbergasted. This man had no idea what had been going on for these past three years. And of course, Jesus knew. He just wants to hear what they have to say. You know, a lot of times when kids will say things, and I'll get their answer just to, you know, because I want to hear what they have to say. Yes, I know this guy is blue, but of course I want to hear the way you see it. You know, I can ask, I, I can almost see him say, what things, with a smile on his face, or holding back a smile. Oh, what, thing, what things, you know? Try not to show them that he's like really like engaged in this. Uh, wanting to get the, these guys to share their hearts. And sometimes when we're perplexed, God, like I said, God wants us to tell him what we're thinking and what we're feeling. That our perplexion is all caught up and all gathered up, and we need to share with him. And God knows what's going on in our hearts. Sometimes we wonder, why am I going to pray? Why am I going to tell God this? You know this. And God goes, please just tell me. You know, sometimes when we need advice and we get counsel and we talk to a friend, it's just, I don't really need to hear what you have to say. I just need to get it off my chest. And then when it bounces off of the fact that you're sitting in front of me, I realize how silly it sounds. And why am I worried about this in the first place? Of course, I'm going to win the lottery. <laughs> Just kidding. But I think the Lord wants them and wants us in these situations to get to the core of being perplexed. And usually that's a wrong assumption or a wrong belief about something. You know? Why didn't I win the lottery? Well, you got a wrong belief to think that you, one in a billion or whatever, are going to win when you put down your dollar or five dollars. It's a wrong assumption to think that you're likely to get that to happen. Or even why something is happening in our life. Why is this happening? We assume it's for one reason and we're confused by it. And God says, I've got another reason, like with Job. You know, his friends all said, Job, you must have done something completely wrong here. But that wasn't the real reason. The real reason was God was showing his glory through Job, through his servant, Job. And if we're God's servant, God's going to allow a lot of things to happen in life. We're going to be in God's house and God's kingdom and God's world. And things are going to happen to us that God sees and God knows and God allows and God wants us to go through. Because we serve him, not just in bringing him something, not bringing a gift, not bringing a tithe, not bringing 
whatever it is we bring, but we serve him through our very lives, bringing something to him, bringing glory to him. So if there's a death situation in our life, whatever that is, whether it's a physical death or whatever, and God puts that situation in our life, we're to bring him glory through that situation. His life is in us to bring him glory. And that's how we serve him. That's the plate, that's the offering we bring him, is this glory through his life somehow lived out through our lives. Like this family, death was given into their life, and yet what do they do? They bring glory to him. Their vessels, their honor, they bring it to him. They grieve, yes, but in that grief, they have comfort. But it says that they were astonished. They were astonished by what the ladies had told them, what the disciples had shown them. Um, it says that they were thrown out of position or displaced, to be amazed, uh, astounded, to be out of one's mind, besides oneself, insane. I don't know that necessarily they thought it was completely insane, but they had all these expectations of what Jesus was going to do when he was coming into the kingdom and take it over, and then he dies, and now they're stuck in this place, and now this other theory comes along of, wait, Jesus wasn't here to become king in Israel at the time he was here to free us from our sin and regain his, you know, to retake his throne in heaven. And this whole new thing puts him out of place, puts him away. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Really? Is this it? And began to think and consider and wonder. But essentially, that Jesus kind of rebukes him here. He says, you guys are slow of heart to believe in the prophets that have spoken. Like, you have the whole, you know, you have the whole Bible, guys, up to that point. You could have understood this by now if, if you just spent a little time in it. I think Jesus might say that to some of us as believers. You know, man, why are you perplexed? I gave you that verse six months ago in your devotional time. Didn't you highlight it? Didn't you write it down? You know, how often God will let me know, think, you know, not in a sense of, I know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I begin to get a verse, he administers to me, and then I'll have a situation come up in my life, and that verse is perfect for it. And, man, where was it again? Did I highlight it? Did I write it down? You know, like, it's so important to do that. You know, at least so you can kind of flip back and go, didn't God speak to me? Oh, yeah, he did. Yeah. It's really good. You know, there's a Bible I, I won't get rid of, even though it's missing some pages, I have to, like, look at another Bible when I get to them, just because it has notes from those times. God dates when God gave me things that were going on in my life. I was reminded, as I was reading this area of scripture, about when um, Lazarus, not oh, Lazarus, Jesus rose from the dead, but the poor guy goes to, goes to Abraham's bosom, and uh, the rich guy is there, and they're separated by the chasm. He goes, Abraham, please send somebody back. Send somebody back to tell my family. He goes, They've got the law, they've got the prophets. If they don't listen to them, they're not going to listen to someone who comes back from the dead. I think that's why Jesus wanted to show them the scriptures. Because that's how they're going to believe. Not because he came back from the dead, but because the scriptures talked about it. You know, can you imagine this study from Moses until the prophets? You know, this whole time he's explained to them Jesus himself, pointing to Jesus. I mean, a lot of times we read the Old Testament and we don't see Jesus in it. I think it's because we're not really looking. We don't really expect to see him there. We don't expect him on the road to Emmaus with us. But he's there. You know, I encourage you, if you've got a long road trip, if you've got to drive to work, you've got to commute, you've got to go somewhere this week, Jesus is there with you. How many times have, you know, I've had a busy life and then had to go commute down to my job and God will spend time with me in the car. I'll really get ministered to in that time. But sincerely, he goes through the whole test with them. Like, we've been going through Genesis and I hope really getting a picture of God, like, Perhaps we've missed before. Because all these scriptures do concern him. Jesus wasn't making a stretch when he went through Moses and the prophets to point to him. 
It was easy, because that's what they do. That's the whole point of the scripture. Yeah, there was law, there was ways to live, ways for the community to interact. But even in all that, even in the ordinances of the temple, pointed to who Jesus was, pointed to the things to come. He said in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, Do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle by no means pass from the law until it is all fulfilled. That Jesus didn't come to get rid of these things, he was the fulfillment of them. And so if he's the fulfillment of the law and prophets, we can certainly see them in these things because they are, as what Paul says, a shadow of the things to come. Let's go on to verse 28 through 35. It says, Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, he blessed and broke it, and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? I love that he opened them to us. So they rose up in that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road, and how uh, he was known to them in the breaking of bread. You know, they were at Emmaus, but he wanted to keep going. I don't know if Jesus had another town in mind, or if he said, I've got so much more to show you in the scriptures. I've got so much more that I could show you and teach you and show you with me in the scriptures that, you know, we could read this to the day we die and beyond, and we'll always have something new about Jesus. You know, I was wondering, I'm kind of curious where they would have went. They kept going. You know, like what, what that night would have been like if they kept going. But he instead went with them. You know, his plans eventually would work out. You see, he disappears. You know, he, he probably shows up where he needs to go. But they were still a part of his plans. He wasn't too busy for them, you know. He wasn't done with them because they hadn't seen him yet. And Jesus' work is never done in our lives until we've seen him. Until we've seen him. If you feel like you're in that situation where it's just empty, you know there should be life, you want to believe in the life, but you can't see it yet, know that Jesus wants to appear to you in that. Know that Jesus wants to show you that, oh, I'm not in this room, I'm over here. And he's not going to let you go until he does. Don't lose hope. But he did what he always did. They had food together. They ate together. He did what he did at the Last Supper. He blessed the food, he broke the bread, and he gave it to them. And I love that it was, it was then that their eyes were opened and knew who he was. It wasn't the, the college discourse on the seven-mile trip. It wasn't the fact that he was with them and he gave them the certificate of, I don't know what, he walked with me for seven miles. But it was that when they sat down and they ate with him. When they invited him in, come with us. Lord, don't go anywhere else. Yeah, they know he's Lord, but don't go anywhere else, but come in and sit with us. Sit with us. And he vanished. You know, I, I think the Lord's got this sense of humor. <laughs> hey, it's me, see it. And he's gone. You know, like, as soon as things are done, like with Abraham, you know, when he's giving Abraham the promises, he does, and then he's gone. And he's with Abraham and Sarah, oh, this is the message, I'm going to go now. He doesn't, he doesn't linger any longer than he has to. But he vanished as soon as their spiritual eyes were opened. Because their physical seeing of him didn't matter anymore. As soon as they saw him spiritually, they didn't need to see him physically anymore. I think a lot of times we look for Jesus physically all the time in that token and that necklace and that preacher and that ministry and whatever it is because we haven't seen him spiritually. We get dependent on a physical side of him 
because we haven't yet had the spiritual side of him. We tend to think that being with us physically is the thing we really need, but really we need them to be with us spiritually. It's like a bad relationship. A bad relationship wants just to be around physically all the time because you don't trust each other to be spiritually or physically apart. But when you have that trust and you have a real love and real relationship, you can be apart because you know you have them. You know that they have you. You know that you have that relationship. That the relationship is not based necessarily in proximity. Yeah, it's blessed by proximity. But it's not based on it. That's the same thing here. And once they saw him spiritually, they could go anywhere. And they would, you know, Jesus said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to come for you. You know, don't cling to me, Mary. I have not ascended yet. You know, when we get to heaven, we can cling to him for 10,000 years. And it don't matter. In fact, I hope so. You know, and he's not going to go, you know, get off me. <laughs> you got broccoli and ham breath from Easter. <laughs> He's going to hold on to us forever. But he is already. Even if we don't feel like it, even if it doesn't feel like he's holding on to us and with us in the situation, he is. If you've seen him spiritually, if you're spiritualizing open a little bit, you'll see. You know, Sometimes my kids will go, I don't see the angels. And I go, well, they're there. We don't see them. God says that he puts his angels in charge over us and we pray that they protect us and we know that God is with us, the Holy Spirit is with us. You know, because he didn't want a miracle. He didn't want a physical manifestation to be their belief. He wanted their belief to be through the word and through communion with him. You know, I heard a quote yesterday. I think Alistair Begg was quoting some archbishop from somewhere. Everybody said, the confidence of heaven is the word of God. And all of heaven doesn't rely on a miracle. It's all a miracle. It relies on the word of God. And that is the biggest miracle of all, that God would speak to you and I. I love how they say after this, after he disappeared, you know, empty seat, the food's ready to be eaten. Did not our hearts burn for them? Doesn't, you know, man, when he was telling us, wasn't there some evidence as we were walking here? Man, that was awesome. And doesn't yours, when you hear God speak of himself through scripture, because we can hear a Bible message, we can hear a teaching and our hearts on the other burn, we're kind of like, man, <laughs> when can I go? Whether it's a good or a bad message, you know, you can have a really good, engaging speaker. If God's not speaking, you might enjoy it. But man, even if it's a really bad message like today, and if God speaks to you even a little bit, doesn't your heart burn for more? Like, oh, I want more of this. No, I don't want the movie to be over. No, it's only two hours and four minutes. I want two hours and 34 minutes, you know? Man, like those guys listening to Paul all night, you just want more of what God is. And that's what they're saying here. You know, don't you hunger and long for more? When that dessert, when that ham is so good, and then all of a sudden it's gone, don't you just hunger for more? And aren't you astonished and amazed, like someone who's in love? You know, like, ah, you know, we're, Ashley and I are coming up on six years being married, and you know, it's it's good to be reminded, you know, like, man, because we're, you know, we go, but you go about life, and you know, wake up, you know, you're not, my hair's not done, I'm brushing my teeth, all the things you see each other, and all the lights you didn't see each other before, and and yet you can still be astonished and amazed, and I'm still astonished and amazed that she loved me, and I'm not in more trouble for this message, but but sincerely. It's great to be reminded every year to have that anniversary, to go back and look, man, oh man, I remember when we went to Warwick and we got engaged and got married. Your parents didn't kill us. It was fantastic. I'm astonished and amazed that I'm still alive. But we need to do the same thing with the Lord. If we have that love with him every Easter, every chance we get, be astonished and amazed to remember what he's done for us. And I wonder if not, is it because we're seeking living among the dead? You know, if our relationship were dead and I was seeking life among it, it'd probably be pretty sad because it wasn't reciprocated. 
But it shouldn't be that way with the Lord because he'll always, we're the ones who reciprocate when he gives us. And I love how they couldn't wait that that same hour they went out. You know, the meal was there, Jews broke it, they were hungry, they walked out, they said, okay, let's eat, let's eat real quick. And then let's go out and tell people because, oh my word, what just happened? He's, he's not dead. He's alive. He walked with us. He with the whole time. He told the whole scriptures. We're going to teach you guys about them now because Jesus gave it to us. And that's, that's the best. You know, they tell the whole story to them. That's what we just read. Um, and that word ginosko, it means intimate knowledge. That they knew that it was the Lord. They had this intimate knowledge. It wasn't just book smarts. It wasn't just, oh, this is what the scripture says about the Messiah. It was, this is what the scripture says about the Messiah. And here he is with us. That they have that intimate connection with Jesus. If we read through the, all the, um, the sacrifices, the things the priests were doing in the Old Testament, and how they're supposed to commune with the Lord through the system. It's what he wants. You know, Jesus loved eating with them because it was this intimate time. It's like family times, you know. Sometimes it's, it's not what we love because we know we have to be close to these people on their side of the table. Uh, and I think it's more, I, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know if they're looking forward to it. But, you know, when we go out to eat, we have family, we get together, or friends, and, you know, we went out to eat last week. We like it because we get to hang out. Who, who doesn't like to eat, you know? Everyone likes to eat. That's what he wants. That's where he's really known is in that time of communion. The time of communion wouldn't mean anything without the word of God. It would just be crackers and juice. But without communion, without oneness, without the sacrifice of the cross, without the resurrection, this would just be a dead book. We'd be a dead religion. We'd be going through it and not understanding it. It wouldn't be open to us. Just like the Holy of Holies was opened when Jesus died on the cross and the veil was torn and there's open access. We have open access. God bless you. Here. We can come and read it. And if we are a little perplexed, you know, as we get in the time of it, as we spend time with the Lord and communion with him, he'll begin to open it to us. Don't be perplexed. Don't, if it looks empty, if it looks dead, if it looks like you need a stone rolled away, keep reading it. Keep, keep looking for communion with Jesus in it. Because he doesn't want you to know the word, just to know the word. He wants you to know the word, to know him. I believe we all know Jesus today, but ask it anyway. Do we know him? Are you perplexed in life or by him? You know, the phrase of emotion that we share with you guys about. Sometimes the Lord does things and it just leaves you perplexed. Like, man, I thought I knew what you were going to do, Lord, and, and now that you're doing it, I don't get it. You seem farther away to me. I don't know how I can follow you. Are you amazed by him? Are you amazed by the things he's done, by what the scripture says? You know, we read the Bible, and the more I read it, the more I'm amazed. And I go, this can happen. This did happen. This will happen. But I think we don't see it because we don't expect to see it, maybe. We're not asking God to open these scriptures to us in communion, to take the scriptures and put them into our own lives, to put them into the life that we live every day, to have a life that's not just on the road, listening to a podcast about Jesus and, and, and the Old Testament, but having a life that's lived by communion with one another and with him. A life that wants to live out, to keep walking where he was walking. You know, Jesus wanted to keep going, so what did they do? After they saw it, they didn't want to keep going, but then after they saw him, they said, oh, we want to keep going. We don't really care about staying here tonight. We want to get out of here. And that should be our life as disciples. We don't want to stay here and sit in the garden by the empty tomb and just build the shrine. Yeah, maybe it's cool to go see the tomb of Josephus or whatever if you go to Israel. That'd be cool. 
I don't want to live there. I don't want to build a tabernacle there. You know, I just said, no. Go out. Share what you've seen. But I think a lot of times we get burdened because we haven't seen something yet. We have this burden that we need to go share something we haven't yet seen. And God doesn't have that burden on you and on me. He just wants you to come and see. Because once we actually come and see, once we actually come and commune, we're not going to do anything else. There's nothing else we can do. You can't keep living the life you lived once you've seen it. You know, I feel for these soldiers who have gone to war and come back different because they've gone and they've lived a, a hard life and a hard experience of death. And they're understandably changed. And I can't pretend to understand that. Now, how can they come back and live a life, you know? How can they come back and live a life so much more? If we've been impacted by this, if we've been impacted by the Lord, how can we go about our life? Yeah, maybe we'll be like these guys and have a job and go commute to Emmaus every day. But they're not, they're changed. They're changed, they're not the same anymore. You know, let him open your eyes to truly see him today. Why? Not because you have to do it, but because he wants you to see him. He wants you to experience him. He wants you to know him. But we have to be willing. You know, Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You know, they were sitting back in the house, and they wouldn't know that the tomb was empty unless they got up and went and looked. So let's seek him. Let's commune with him. You know, we've had his word. Hopefully we've had a little bit of scripture today. But let him reveal himself to us, you know, through communion. We're going to take communion here in a minute. This resurrection morning, resurrection Sunday. Let's commune with him and enjoy the fact that we can, yes, it's just crackers, it's just juice. We're glad to have it, but let's think about the relationship we have this morning. And I think it will affect the rest of our day. Amen.